What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port in of number not currently active on T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome-times-awesome, fantabulous co-host, Andy Bailey. Um, We are excited to get back to some podcasting after some inconsistency over the uh, two holiday weeks. It was a little bit difficult. I'm also still battling walking pneumonia, though, so we'll try and power through, but I'm, I'm still excited to get back to talking some hoops and maybe experience a, a sense of normalcy. Before we get started with, and yes, you guessed it, our Western Conference halfway point grades, I uh, just want to remind you all to continue subscribing, rating, and review us on iTunes. We really, 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 really appreciate it. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, APR. It does a lot for us in terms of exposure and just lets us know we're doing a good job. We really want to continue to drive those ratings up. You guys have done a pretty good job helping us with that over the past few weeks, but we would like that number to continue to climb. So if you can please take the 10 to 15 seconds out of your day to go on iTunes, into podcasts, search for Hardwood Knox, hit subscribe, and give us a review, it would be eternally appreciated as i say as always and with that we get to the question that everyone waits for each and every time andy and i do this together how are you doing andy i'm doing good uh sounds like i'm doing better than you i don't know if i've ever even heard of walking pneumonia until you told me you had it the other day that sounds awful i i I feel like it's i haven't really like looked it up but i feel like it's just like doctor speak for you're sicker than this, but you're not full blown like mono or pneumonia or something like that. I don't know. I had it. I battled it early in the year 
and they uh, encouraged me, I guess would be the word, to start getting more sleep and just treating my body a little bit better with the things I was doing. <laughs> um, mostly sleep, though. And then it flared up again while I was in Florida for a wedding and around a bunch of people. So I made it through the wedding, but I had to cut my trip in Florida short and just uh, just um, come home and try and, you know, re- relax. So I'm working on it right now, but I am here and I'm, I'm ready to talk. Well, we appreciate that. I don't know. How many hours of sleep do you get each night? Um, probably about. I was I was working on for most of this season less than four a night. That's so bad. Yeah. So and my my doctor had said for someone who fancies himself like a health nut that I'm an idiot. Basically, was like it was. That's not what he said, but it was in so many words. So now I'm really trying to learn to like hey. You can. You don't need to wait until the very last NBA game is over. And if there's work to be done, like you know, as long as you've met deadlines, like just continue to let it like hover to the next day. So my fiance is really on me about this. So I've been consistently getting at least six hours of sleep over the past I was about gonna, week. I I get about six a night, and I feel exhausted. Like so much. The, four, uh, less than four is crazy. Apparently, eight is like not even considered enough anymore. I was talking to one of my friends oh, really? who's yeah, who who he, who he I think he just graduated with his medical medical degree. I think he has a residency now somewhere, but anyway, he was saying like the optimal number is 9. And so Yeah, there's no way I'm getting there. I just don't know who has I mean 9 hours is more than a third of the day. That's a lot, yeah. So I'm I, not getting there. Yeah, so I mean I'm working on 6, but I feel like I don't know. I'm I'm trying to I'm I said my goal would be 7 at one point I just don't see it happening. So we're at 6 hours of sleep and hopefully that's enough. Well, I'm glad you got some more. I'm going to uh now that I've taken us down that rabbit hole, I'm going to get us back on track with the grades. Um I think we're just going to do this like we did last time where we'll switch off picking a team from the conference. So Dan'll be totally surprised and I'll be totally surprised by his picks. I'm going to get the Warriors out of the way. Um right off the bat. I gave him an A+. Plus. Um, I don't know how much explanation <laughs> I need for the Warriors deserving an A+. Plus. They're, they're on pace for well over 60 wins again. This season they're doing it with Stephen Curry missing significant time. Um, Kevin Durant's now been out for a little bit. So I, 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 I think we've run out of things to say about the Warriors, basically. The only uh, sort of statistical note I'll give... Uh, let's see if I can find it. So Stephen Curry's 2015-16, that's the best offensive season ever. Um, at least that's my opinion. Are you with me on that? 2016-2017, um, Dion Waiters disagrees, but go ahead. <laughs> um, so that 15-16 Curry season was like, we're never going to see anything like that again. And he is, he is just barely off pace in a bunch of numbers. Like, his offensive box plus minus is a little bit behind. His PER is barely behind. His win shares per 48 is barely behind. His true shooting percentage this season is actually better than that 15-16 true shooting percentage. Has he even missed at the foul line yet? Obviously, oh, That's has, a good question. That's, um, just, I feel like he hasn't missed this season. Basically, it's just I, I can't believe he's doing this <laughs> again, and maybe I should believe it after what we've seen from him the last few years. But Stephen Curry specifically has been unbelievable this season and the Warriors, I, I don't think there's anything you can give them other than an A plus, but we'll see. I gave them an A and I, oh. I'm, I'm being a stickler here because okay. something about their shooting this season, or at least recently just seems mortal. 
which is unsettling to me. So, so since we last did this, um, they're just what are they? They're thirteenth in the league in three point percentage at thirty six point nine percent, and they're fourteen and two over that time. So it's fine. And thirty six point nine percent that's still a good collective mark. But they're not shooting like a ton. They're shooting twenty seven point nine three pointers per one hundred possessions over the last sixteen games, which ranks seventeenth in the league. Uh, during that same time too, that really caught my eye. Only four guys are shooting better than 37% from three on the team. And you have five that are 37% or better because Nick Young's right at that threshold. And one of them is Quinn Cook. So you've, over this, you know, span. him out. Yeah, Draymond Green, 29.5% from three since we last did this. Omri Caspi, 28.6%. Iguodala, 14.8%. You have Patrick McCaw's not really a three-point threat. Jordan Bell's not a three-point threat. Sean Livingston's not a three-point threat. So it's the the team is still so good, but uh, remember when the Warriors were just billed as this just three point shooting juggernaut, and they still are. Like Steph, since he's come back, like in his last five games, he's fifty three point two percent from three on twelve point four attempts per game. It's it's absurd, and they have all this firepower, and Clay is automatic, and Kevin Durant at thirty seven point five percent as a mark you almost expect to go up. But I just I look at this team; their defense seems better than it was at the start of the season. Maybe that kind of coincided with Curry's absence. It seemed like they had a greater emphasis on just getting back in transition and doing some of the more dirty work because they knew that he wouldn't be there to kind of bail them out with these rabbits he'd pull out of his hat in half-court or full-court possessions. It's just, I don't know. So I gave them an A. It's a nitpicky thing, and the Warriors are going to be fine. They're the best team ever assembled. But, you know, that I just I, it's, it's baffled me a little bit, quite frankly. I have to counter. Um, I'm going to give you the top three effective field goal percentages for a team in NBA history. Number three was the 2015-16 Golden State Warriors at 56.3%. Number two was the 2016-17 Golden State Warriors at 56.3%. Number one is this season's Warriors at 57.7%. I'm not calling them inefficient. It's just over this. And just to let me clarify, like these grades are for the entire season. And... Uh, but I, I'm also waiting, Sorry like what that. we've seen since we last did the grades, and I've just been, you know, could Andre Godala's lack of like a jumper? This is like almost two years, three years in the making now. It feels like that could be a problem for them come playoff time. It of course hasn't affected his ability to run bench heavy units. The Warriors are still pummeling opponents per 100 possessions when he plays without KD, Draymond, and Steph. It's just uh, gold shoes are too tight, is what I'm complaining about here. But that's the standard <laughs> this team needs to be held to. I'll also add that they're the 11th best team of all time by simple rating system, this current iteration. And hey, that's the, not, the last two ones are ahead of them. So That's not the that's worse than the fifth best team of all time, so I should probably give them a B-. <laughs> and it's it's worse than each of the last two Warriors seasons, too. So, um, All right, I'll, I'll let you slide on that A. It's uh, your call now. I'm going to go to the Los Angeles Clippers, who have experienced something of a resurgence since we did this. Uh, 17 games played since the quarterway mark. They're 10-7, and seven, uh, net rating plus 2.7. Uh, their offense, 106.9 points per 100 possessions, nothing special but good for 14th during that time. Um, and their defense, 104.2 points allowed per 100 possessions during this time, which is the eighth best mark. And it kind of seemed as if things started to come together once Teodosic came back. 
and there was more structure to the offense, and DeAndre Jordan could do some more things. Ironically, though, it's been the defense that just seems better overall. And having Blake, Blake Griffin back before he suffered his most recent setback in the form of a concussion, that helps too. Lou Williams has been absolutely bonkers. I'm just they, They've creeped their way back into the playoff discussion. They're two games back um, of the eighth-seeded New Orleans Pelicans right now, and they're still a team that I think we would bill as a potential seller at the trade deadline. You know, like DeAndre Jordan's name isn't suddenly just going to go away necessarily, but they've just, they've done some nice things. Like their defensive shot profile really isn't that bad. You would expect it to be worse when you look at their personnel. So they've, they've pleasantly surprised me um, over this span. And I gave them a C last time around. And now I'm just giving them a B because when you look at the, when you look at everything that's happened this season with all the injuries, Daniil Gallinari losing Patrick Beverly for the year, Blake Griffin has essentially barely played uh, for much of the season, uh, losing Tio Josic as well. They're still in the playoff hunt in a Western Conference that, while mostly top-heavy and with a lot of wide openness towards the bottom, it's still not exactly forgiven. You know, look at the Utah Jazz, and we'll get into them later, but... You lose Rudy Gobert, and they've had a recent rough 15-16 game stretch, and it's almost like they've fallen completely out of playoff contention. So I have to tip my cap to the Clippers getting back within striking distance of a 500 record at 18-21 and 21 right now. Yeah, I gave them a B2, and it's uh, mostly the arguments that you just made. I, If this team had been fully healthy all season, I kind of would have expected them to be just a couple games over 500. Right at the halfway point, and the fact that they're only a couple games under 500 with all the time that Griffin missed, um, all the time that Patrick Beverly missed, Gallinari. You, I mean, you mentioned all the names already. Teodosic. Um, it's it's impressive, and they've gotten huge contributions from rookies. Uh, I think they just waived Jamil Wilson, but he was good. Uh, C.J. Williams Dornwell's has been, been good solid. too. C.J. Williams. Um, I, I think a lot of the credit you mentioned him too was has to go to Lou Williams, who has just been <laughs> – he, he has been unreal. The only guy scoring more points per ISO than him right now this season is James Harden. Um, he's, he's scoring 1.25 points per ISO, Lou Williams is. Jeez. And it seems like for the last three or four years, he finds another level each of the last few years. I don't know how he's doing this. Is he in his 30s now? Um Lou Williams, I think, is exactly 30. If that, he's not. He's 29. He's, then, he's 31. Yeah. So, um, But he's been in the league. for he, He's one of those guys who came out of high school. So I think he's been in the league for 12 or 13 years. Do you ever like, kind of forget continue. about his tenure in Atlanta? Or is that just me? Like if For me, it's like Philly and then Toronto, he, and I just uh, miss out on those two years in true. Atlanta. Did he win one of his six men of the year there? In he, Atlanta? He two, right? No, I thought he only had one. Now oh, I'm looking maybe this I'm... up. Wow, we're really bad yeah, at this. Uh, no, he only has the one, 2014, okay. 2015. I think and you're thinking of Jamal Raptors. Crawford with Atlanta. Yeah, well, Jamal Crawford has like 15 of those awards. I think he, I'll um, take the over on that. <laughs> anyway, the fact that he's still doing this this late in his career, just continuing to climb the ladder is really impressive to me. I, th- I think he deserves a ton of credit for keeping the Clippers um, afloat through all these injuries. Yeah, it's I I don't know. It's absolutely incredible. When you look at like some of the lineups they've had to use during this time, their most used lineup, which they can't use anymore because of Wilson, uh, 
over this stretch has only appeared in four games and logged a total of 56 minutes, plus 25 points per 100 possessions. But it was DeAndre Jordan, Austin Rivers, Teodosic, uh, CJ Williams, and Wilson. It's just like – yeah. And the the best thing to me is so among rotation players, um, Teodosic during this time since he's come back has the highest net rating of any – like Clippers rotation player. They're a, a plus 11.5 points per 100 possession when he's on the floor. Elite offensive rating and elite defensive rating. And that's been that's just been what's most impressive to me about this team. I don't think you look at them and say they should be even an average defensive team. At least yeah. I never looked at them that way. But yeah. Well, I've given a lot of crap to Doc Rivers over the last few years, but maybe he's... Uh... Helping us eat a little bit of crow. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to stay in the Pacific Division. Just keep churning on through. Um, I'm going to go with the Los Angeles Lakers. Hold on. Let me get my LeVar Ball voice going. <laughs> and I'm looking at my grade. I feel like I might have been too hard on them. Um, I gave them a C. But like I said, I, I could probably be talked into something higher because I don't think they're performing too far below expectations. Um Kyle Kuzma has been obviously much, much better than I think anybody anticipated. Mm-hmm. Brandon Ingram is showing strides. Um, I'm going to make a change on the fly. I feel like I did this the last episode too. I'm going to give them a C plus because they're, they're still 12 and 27. So I can't really – I'm going to have a hard time bumping them into the B territory. But there's been a lot of positives with the Lakers. Um, turmoil with LeVar Ball notwithstanding. That's not really something that they can control. Um but yeah, I'm gonna go with a C plus for the Lakers. So I went with a D, and oh. I and I did not weight as heavily like their recent just really crappy stretch as I probably could have because I gave them a B the first time that we did this. A lot of it, like and some of the stuff. So let me get this out of the way. The positive stuff I've I've liked what I've seen from some of their players. I'm still you know I'm like all Brandon Ingram everything, and he's just yeah. been. Um, uh, it seems like he just continues to improve uh, basically by the game. And he's shooting 39.1% from three um, since the last time we did this. And that's big for him. His free throw shooting is still just bizarre to me. And the on-off court splits aren't necessarily going to love him. But I, I just look at him as a playmaker, his activity on the defensive end as well. I, I'm a big Brandon Ingram guy. Kyle Kuzma has been really good. Uh, Jordan Clarkson is kind of up and down, but I think he's at least played his way into a situation uh, where the Lakers don't need to include a sweetener to trade him. I know the talk has been that the Lakers are going to want value on his deal, and I don't think they're going to get it, but he, I would think he's someone they could fairly easily move. And the other thing is Lonzo Ball, uh, over his last 10 appearances, uh, he's made 10 appearances since the last time we did this, shooting 44% overall, 40.3% from three, 7.1 rebounds, 7.1 assists, 1.4 steals and 1.2 blocks per game the blocks from him is he's what's just crazy so, to me he's so good at trailing like plays and breaking them up from behind too so yep. and he, you know 13.5 points like that's very jason kiddish and it's not mm-hmm. i'm not trying to make the comparison but he's been a little bit more aggressive it seems like and more comfortable my main issue is the effort they were overachieving to start the season but the effort is clearly and i'm not trying to you know, basically support LeVar Ball here, but the, the effort on defense just is, seems like it's never there anymore. And the bigger thing for me, which is why I gave them a D, uh, is the front office has completely dropped the ball on this LeVar stuff. 
It's just how do you let him criticize your coach without some sort of a response? And I'm not – I get the – and it's like dealing with trolls on Twitter. You can kind of take the route of do you eviscerate them or do you just ignore them? And there's value yeah, and hope in ignoring them. There's value in ignoring them, but not when it's something this big. I don't necessarily have a problem with the ESPN.com piece from Jeff Goodman, but – you have all these other coaches coming out and saying something, and now it's turned into this story. You have Luke Walton kind of out there himself saying, yeah, I'm pretty sure the front office and me are on the – and they believe in me. Like Magic Johnson and Rob Palenka, like to – you know, Jeannie Buss, like somebody needs to get up off their ass and come out in public defense of Luke Walton now because there's nothing else for them to do. It would even be a little bit different if they were thinking about firing him, but to do that now would be categorically, colossally dumb because he's – what is he guilty of not having the Lakers overachieve? This team is a t- when you look at the Lakers on paper. Okay, yeah, they they have a twelve and twenty seven record. They're tied with the Grizzlies for the worst record in the Western Conference. That's what they look like on paper. This looks like one of the two or three worst teams in the Western Conference. And mm-hmm. I just I don't. And I think you've seen growth from some of the youngsters, including Lonzo Ball, also Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma's just been good wire to wire. It kind of seems like as well. I, I don't understand why you can't come out and defend Luke Walton, especially because you've created this toxic environment by making it so well known that basically everyone on your team is a placeholder because you want two max contracts this summer. And we think that Kyle Kuzma is untouchable. We think Lonzo Ball is untouchable. We think Brandon Ingram's untouchable. Those are three players on the roster. Like everyone else is competing for the next contract, auditioning for their next home, essentially. And that's not a good environment to be in, especially when you're not this seasoned veteran team. So I, I'm just completely unimpressed with how the Lakers have gone about their business, particularly over the past few weeks. And so that tipped the scales to a D and I think you can also justify it because they have been like a flaming pile of trash over the past couple of weeks. <laughs> Yeah, I can't really disagree with anything you said there. I, I maybe should have weighed uh, some of the front office issues a little bit heavier into my grade. So, I, yeah, I don't have any qualms with that. I didn't think so. Um, <laughs> I'm going to move on to – let's do the Phoenix Suns, who I gave, yeah. a, I gave a C- last time, and I'm giving them a B- now. Like, they're not good, but they're 16 and 26 – um, they their defense better than had, I would have expected at this point for sure. Right, and um, excuse me. Since the last time we did this, they're a pleasant seven and ten, and the defense has not been like the biggest garbage pile in the league. The offense has sometimes um, been average. That's good. Yeah, so I I mean it's just you know the small things. You you continue to see moments from Dra- Dragon Bender that pass he made to Tyson Chandler. Um, on the game winner, uh, like an alley-oop, that inbounds play a few weeks uh, mm-hmm. might have been two weeks ago by this point. Just spectacular. We finally saw like life from Josh Jackson. Devin Booker just looks a lot more comfortable, not necessarily as a defender, but as the primary offensive hub. And, I, I you know, the Mike James situation was weird when they got rid of him. That kind of rubbed me a little bit um, the wrong way. But it's just TJ Warren is looking better. There's been times where I look at Marquise Chris and I think, oh, there's something there uh, more than just this foul-happy like tweener in the front court. They've just been disarmingly not absolutely terrible to me. And that's a, that's worth a B-minus given what my expectations were for them. I, w- I don't remember what I gave him last time, but I gave him a C, which I'm going to guess is higher than the last grade. And I agree with everything you said. Um, the Mike James thing was weird to me too, but I, I keep 
whenever I check the Suns, I'm like, oh, Isaiah Kanan's pretty good, actually. Um, he's got a true shooting percentage over 60. He's averaging 10 points and five assists in 23 minutes a game. Um, taking three free throw attempts per game and shooting them at 97%. That's that's a lot in 23 minutes. So maybe they made a decent choice there. Um, Devin Booker still has a lot of the same issues that I think um, kind of turn advanced stats against him. Maybe not totally engaged on defense all the time, but he's just been so good offensively this season that he's he's a distinct plus for the first time in his career. <laughs> I like TJ Warren. Um, which is kind of funny because I'm as like pro three point revolution as there is, and he simply doesn't have it. Um, shoot 7.7% from three, but there's something about his old school game and just getting buckets that still uh, intrigues me. I, I think there's a lot more to like about this team than there was even a couple weeks ago, like you said. I, um, obviously, they're still a couple of years away. It's nice, like you said, Josh Jackson is starting to show some flashes that he might actually be a part of this core moving forward um but overall i i still went with the c just because they are you know well out of playoff contention and i say that they're, they're they're really how many games back are they maybe four or five but um yeah those are those are my reasons for giving them a c i'm just i think drake and bender and his he's shooting 4.43 point attempts per game since the last time oh we did, did this you see the- my little nugget on him the other day um no. He is he is currently among seven foot one or taller players, uh the all time leader in threes per thirty six minutes. Nice. See? Right there. <laughs> He's shooting them at thirty nine point two percent over his last seventeen games since we last did this. Yeah, that's December. plenty of sample. So it's just like and he's playing over twenty minutes a game, so I, they've just again. It's they. They have not been absolute trash, and that's you know who else has been better lately is Marquise Chris. I, I feel like he's sort of locked in a little bit more than he. Was. Yeah, I think I j- it was kind of like I said before. I mean, his free throw shooting has been abysmal uh, over the past like fifteen games or so, but he just looks a little bit more comfortable, and it doesn't seem like he's so inclined to just foul people at will on the defensive end. I still don't know what he'll be, and if you had to ask me to pick, I would go with Bender over Chris long term, but it looks like maybe there's something there. There's just more flashes your from him. Five or Bender? Uh, just I yeah. mean if you're talking if you're asking me who's going to be the better pro, I still think it's going to okay. be Bender. And I wasn't like, you know, falling into that like prototypical tall white guy, oh he's the next Chris Stops when Bender came into the league. But I just like I liked his game a little bit more. It's it's obviously more finesse based. Uh, I I do wonder how Bender's gonna be maybe long-term as a rebounder, uh, but I, I don't know. There's just a different smoothness to his game, and I, I think that shot, particularly from the outside, is finally starting to come around, which is a big deal. And, and yeah. just a note on TJ Warren, I'm, I'm like, torn on him because I'm like you, just pro three-point shooting everything. Yeah. And he's, he's putting up numbers, but everything he does to me just feels empty. And until he adds kind of an extra layer of playmaking – defense or a consistent jumper preferably two of the three i'm just not going to be that high on him passing would definitely uh raise his ceiling a little bit he's like he's like a modern cory mcgetty or something wow (laughs) um okay back to me i guess we might as well wrap up the pacific division we weren't planning on this but we've nailed subconsciously i didn't even realize that when i picked the suns either um i'm gonna go 
I'm going with the Kings. Like I said, I'm going to give them a D plus. And this is another team that's not really anywhere different than I thought they would have been at this point in the season. In fact, I, I wouldn't have been surprised if they had lost even more games halfway through the year. They're 13 and 26 right now. Uh, I just, I really don't like the way Dave Yeager is uh, steering this rebuild. I, I, I get that you had you just paid Zach Randolph a bunch of money and you just paid George Hill a bunch of money and Garrett Temple is your savvy vet and that that's all fine. Um, I just looked this up today. The all sort of youngster lineup of De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Heald, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Scalabissier, and Willie Colley Stein has played a total of eighteen minutes together. Oh, there wow. was no there was no reason to think that this team was gonna compete for a playoff spot before the season started. Um, so it should have been sort of the MO from the start to play some of these young guys together, see see which combinations develop a little bit of chemistry, and go from there. It's um, This is a rebuilding team. I don't, I don't know if Dave Yeager doesn't realize that or what, but he needs to play the young guys more. And even if it's ugly, and I'm sure it would be if those guys played more minutes together um, – just for the sake of the future, they need that time on the floor. So that's that's why I went with the D plus. That in addition to the the bad record, and um, so yeah, D plus for me for the Kings. I went C minus, so not that much better. And it's mostly just because I still don't understand what they're trying to do. And they're six and ten over their last sixteen games since the quarter pole grades. Uh, the defense is terrible. Like, it's just, it's god-awful. They're allowing, over that span, 111.4 points per 100 possessions. The worst in the league. So the Cleveland Cavaliers owe them a very hearty thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, it's just, I, like, I, I don't know. Like, it's to your point. There's sometimes, like, I think he's done a good job kind of milking Bogdanovich, and who, who's been impressive since the quarter poll. He's shooting 50% from the floor, 42.4% from three, 3.8 assists per game uh, defense but even he didn't really start playing until recently right 28 point i'm just looking so i'm looking at like the numbers of the players just that stretch yeah um and okay. that's what he so yeah it's recently but like that's a good time but then here's the flip side so george hill is now averaging more minutes per game over this stretch than anybody on the team he's made 12 appearances because he's dealt with injuries or personal absences or whatever but like i don't you know i'm not grasping it so you're they're four most played players in terms of minutes per game since the quarter pole grades, George Hill one, Cauley Stein two, Bogdanovich three, and Zach Randolph four. It just, I don't, like, I'm just so confused as to what they're trying to do. Also, is De'Aaron Fox essentially now in his doghouse? Um, Garrett Temple's been used a little bit less, and he has not been necessarily it, too good lately. It I seems mean, like Vince Carter's like a bigger part of the rotation lately too. And he, I mean, Vince Carter's actually been good too. Him and Buddy Heald over this stretch have the two. But another guy that just, it's like. Who, it doesn't matter for them. No, I mean Buddy Heald's been good, but why? You know why isn't Buddy Heald playing like closer to thirty minutes a game? I, I just, exactly. I'm, I'm just confused, and I get there's, there's a lot of talent to evaluate, um, on this team, but then you know what happens? Like someone, at least one of the older guys, like really just needs to fall off the face of the rotation. Like even if it's Kufos at this point, like you don't need his fifteen, sixteen, seventeen minutes per game. No, you know, some of those should be going to Scal. Uh, Willie Cauley-Stein, okay, yes, he's been averaging closer to 30, but then get him above 30. And if you're kind of disenchanted a little bit with, um, excuse me, if you're like De'Aaron Fox now or you're just not happy with the way that he's been playing or you just want to try some different things, George Hill is 
is not the answer for you. I would say that, you know, let's just see more of, oh my God, I can't even breathe. Let's see more of like just anything. <laughs> let's see more of Garrett Temple. Let's see more of Buddy Heald kind of running the point guard. Um, I, I know that uh, Frank Mason was recently dealing with some like heel problems, but before that, like we could have seen more of him. Like, why is it George Hill or, or why is it Zach Randolph? Why is it Kufo? So I'm just, I'm so unbelievably and thoroughly confused as to what they're trying to do. And they don't even, they're, they're not even close to having an identity. Like the, that you look at a lot of their players have been somewhat promising on the offensive end. Again, Buddy Heald and Bogdanovich, but they just don't have like that. Who's their best defensive prospect. It's probably Cauley Stein. And who comes after that? De'Aaron Fox, maybe. That's why they need to play those guys and figure it out. Hey, what a novel concept. <laughs> All right, back to you. Um, let's see. I'm going to go with the, I'm going to jump right into the Utah Jazz right here. So I was a little bit surprised to see that since the last time, uh, since we did the quarter pole grades, the Jazz have played 16 games. They're three and 13. They have the worst net rating in the NBA, negative 9.8. Their offensive rating of 100.5 is 29th and their defensive rating of 110.3 is 27th. This obviously coincides with an injury to Rudy Gobert, and the Jazz just have not been healthy overall this season. Ricky Rubio has not been good. Uh, You're relying on Donovan Mitchell to create a a lot of your offense, and that's always touch and go when you have that much dependence on a rookie. But I was just, I don't know, because I've watched them, and like I've seen these losses— and some of which have been competitive, and but you just look at the way some of the in, the guys are playing at an individual level, and I, I was just really surprised to see that they were that bad. I gave them sorry I was, um, over this stretch a C minus, and I feel like I might even be like a, they've been injured, and I don't know what more you could expect from them, especially with what they've experimented with. But they're it's it's tough to get. They're linked to Nicole Miritich right now, who I think is a great fit for their roster, and that comes from Woj reported it, Casey Johnson of the Chicago. Tribune reported it. Tony Jones of the Salt Lake Tribune, right? That's where he writes at. So, mm-hmm. it like I, but I, I have a tough time talking myself into can they go for it this year? They're four and a half games out of the playoffs right now. I, I, it's tough for me to get excited about this team all of a sudden. And I was someone who was really high on them leading into this year. So yeah, they're four and a half games out of the playoffs. They're three and a half games um, away from a top three lottery position. So they're, yeah, they're closer to uh, top three in the lotto than they are to the playoffs. So, um, you you dropped that net rating nugget on me before we started recording, and I was surprised too. I I would not have expected them to be the worst team in the NBA over the last couple of weeks, but maybe it shouldn't be that surprising. Like you said, Ricky Rubio, I, I don't think the fit with him could have been any worse. Um, we all overlooked we talked about this before we all overlooked this like just how yeah. poor of a fit he actually I just was. I just was so sure that Utah would adapt a little bit to him and instead they've made him into like the same sort of spot of shooter that George Hill was last year and that's just asking for disaster I I ran a search the other day um I, I don't even remember the parameters but it was something like players who took a thousand threes in their career sorted by effective field goal percentage. And there was 400 some and Ricky Rubio, not surprisingly was dead last in the group. So to cast him in the role of like a spot up shooter was just 
wild. I, I don't know if I said my grade for them yet. I gave them a C because I, I think we should definitely be encouraged by what Donovan Mitchell is. I think Rudy Gobert's injuries have certainly played a role in this slide too. Rodney Hood has missed a bunch of time too, although he's been pretty dang inconsistent when he has played. Um, one other thing that's been really weird to me is Quinn Snyder, basically since he's been in Utah, the, the one criticism I've always had of him is some of his rotations are really weird, and there was a stretch during the last couple of weeks where he would alternate Jonas Terebko and Thabo Sefalosha as the starting four, and in the game that one guy started, the other one wouldn't play at all. It was just <laughs> really weird to me. It just seemed like a coach trying to outsmart himself when he didn't really need to. Um, but I gave him a C because I, it sounds like my grades are more like the balance of this half, the, the entire half of the season. So I think there's been some highs to be excited about. Like I said, Donovan Mitchell has been incredible. Um, on track to maybe be the best rookie Utah's ever had in their franchise history. So certainly something to look forward to with them. And I think they'll be a little bit better if they like you said, if they land Miritich, I don't know if it's worth it to chase a playoff spot this season because Luka Doncic would look amazing on this team. <laughs> Maybe every couple of weeks now they should just say, well, we're going to reevaluate Rudy Gobert in another two weeks because um, if you add him to Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, that's that's suddenly a super interesting core moving forward. But um, yeah, I just, I just feel like they've been middle of the pack. Although, like you said, just in the last couple of weeks, they've been well below that yeah that probably when i found that that probably skewed my view of their entire season but again i i mean if you said rudy gobert was gonna miss this much time and they're eight games under 500 that's probably about yeah it shouldn't be that i don't understand some of the jazz fans fascination still with Derek favors uh like in the heritage it's time to move him for sure it's i mean and like what what is it and there's also so many that are like Oh, he's unequivocally better than Miritich, he's, which I'm not sure is true either. He's first of all, he's not a, the one thing that we know he's not necessarily like his rebounding percentage. You said is actually lower than Miritich's, and yeah, sure, playing minutes with Rudy Gobert kind of hurts that a little bit. It's like the Andre Drummond effect. Kind but he's of had tens of minutes without right. him. And the he other thing is, is is Derek Favors isn't some really good defender. He's just been in these on these teams that have been really good defensive squads. And you look at some of the defensive lineups in the aftermath of losing Gobert that have favors in it, and they're they're not good. The the most used lineup Utah has used um, since the quarter pole grades doesn't include Gobert. It's Derek Favors, Inger, Ingles, Mitchell, Rubio, and Cephalosha, and they're giving up 118.5 points per 100 possessions. Jeez. And so, I mean, there's the, another lineup, the second most used one, where it's just favors. He's their de facto five. 101.1, but then the third most used, he's again their de facto five, and they're giving up 106.8. Like, he's not this, like, really good defender, and, you know, even some, even sometimes when he plays with Rudy Gobert, like, it just, when when they don't have, like, all these, like, Gordon Hayward not being on the perimeter, I actually think hurts Utah's defense more than most people kind of credited, mm-hmm. and now that you rely on Mitchell. Who and George really, Hill. Yeah, he's really, fi- Mitchell's really feisty on defense, but again, he's a rookie. Rubio hasn't necessarily been good. The favors go bare, uh, like combination. They were not good defensively last time I checked. Um, kind of over this stretch, so it's just I I don't like I'm I honestly just don't 
understand it. Like the like it's not I understand not wanting to give up a first or maybe even a fake first in this deal in addition to favors, but I like what I, I don't like what are we doing here? Like I don't think especially with favors entering free agency, it's probably more valuable to have Miritich on that team option so that he expires at the same time as Rubio and you can kind of just do some housekeeping at that point. And to just back up what I said before, uh, it's only 31 minutes, but Favors and Gobert, when they're on the court together, and this was since the quarter pull grades, the Jazz are giving up 120.2 points per 100. Jeez. So How many minutes is that? 31, and it's five appearances. But, like, that's really bad. So, yeah. I mean, if you take out, like, that, like if we do for the whole season, they're, they're at 102.2, which is a lot more reasonable. But that pa- that pairing – uh, the Jazz are getting outscored it's still by still going to be points. a big... Like, they're getting destroyed yeah. because the offense is... Okay, good. Derek Favors might be an okay post scorer. First of all, the stats are not supporting that this year. I think he's in, like, the 12th percentile right now. Right, and and, and second of all, like, that's not the game today. Like, you would, no. I would rather have, like, Miritich, like, spotting up from beyond the arc or putting the ball For on the sure. floor occasionally. So, um, the Jazz... One are... more note on this... Um... Okay, go ahead. That was it. The Jazz are just very weird to me at this point. It's so hard to separate because it's like, okay, Rudy Gobert is is injured again, and you didn't expect him to only play in 18 total games to this point. But it's so – some of the stuff is just hard to separate. That's that's what a big part of my grade relies on, I think. They've they've missed their best player for over half the season. And so the other thing I was going to say to kind of back up what you were saying about Derek Favors and Nikola Mirotic is I compared – those two guys, not only their careers, but just this season alone, um, just the other day. And Miritich has a better true shooting percentage than Favors, not surprising. Um, his defensive rebounding percentage is only two-tenths of one percent lower than Favors. Um, Favors has a huge edge in offensive rebounding, so that gives him a, a pretty good edge in total rebounding. But uh, Miritich is basically an identical defensive rebounder. Uh, his assist percentage is higher than Favors. His steal percentage is the same as Favors. His win shares per 48, identical. His box plus minus, better. So that's that's the career numbers. Just this season alone, Miritich tops favors in PER, true shooting percentage, defensive rebounding percentage, total rebounding percentage, assist percentage. Um, he's got a lower turnover percentage. He tops him in every catch-all, basically. So <laughs> I, I think a lot of Jazz fans are understandably like sentimental about the guys that are already on their team, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of objective... Uh, evidence to suggest that not only is Miritich the better fit right now, he he might just be a more impactful player. Now, would you give up, you personally, would you give up favors and then let's say a top, like, you know, top 16, top 18 protected pick in 2018, 2019, maybe you extend it to 2020, and then if it hasn't conveyed by that point, it turns into two seconds. Is that a deal that you would do if you were the Jazz? I would absolutely do that. Um, I haven't dug into this draft enough to know like what's outside the top 10. Uh, the only thing that would make me kind of hesitant is Dennis Lindsay's been pretty good at the back end of the first round mm-hmm. as, as a drafter, but um, basically everything I already laid out, I just think Meritage fits so much better with this team right now. You're going to lose favors for nothing anyway. If you don't trade him, I'm, Every beat writer in Salt Lake has basically already confirmed that. If he's not traded in the next couple weeks, he is absolutely walking in free agency. So you might as well roll the dice and try to get something in return for him. 
Right, and I just for the Jazz fans out there, I think we have to note that like the the Bulls don't really have an incentive to do a deal for Favors straight up. Like he's having his bird yeah. rights means nothing to them. Yeah. So that would be I that wraps us up on the Jazz. Yeah. Yep. And me... I, that's your turn now, I believe. I I'm gonna go with the Memphis Grizzlies. <sighs> Speaking of me being sick, <laughs> I went with a D for them, and. The reason I almost went lower because, I mean, for obvious reasons, they've been really, really bad. Um, but I, I didn't expect them to be in the playoffs before this season started anyway. So I don't think they have been uh, – they've been lower than I would have expected, but not much lower than I expected. Plus, they haven't had Mike Conley for basically the entire season. Um, the reason I'll give them a D is because they're 12 and 27 still. Marcus All has been awful. I I still think they made the wrong decision to go with him instead of David Fisdale. Basically, it seems like that's what it was. It was sort of a choice between the two, and I I would have gone the other way. I don't know what you're hoping to move forward as if with with a center who's in his 30s as opposed to this new uh, young up and coming coach. Um, so that's those are the negatives. That's why I went with the D. But I I almost gave them an F. I had to hold back just because I don't think they are like way worse than I expected them to be. Yeah, they're. I t- mean, that hot start at the beginning of the season was that was very surprising to me. That it sold me though because they looked deeper than advertised. So I gave them a D as well, and it mine was like kind of the opposite. I wasn't. I wouldn't have gone lower, and I probably could have gone a little bit higher based off where I expected them to be at the beginning of the season. But they turned me into a believer and I like to see it just crumble like this quickly. And it's like you said, Marcus Hall has not been good. He's like his shooting slashes are just abysmal for the They're year. So bad. I mean, his free throw percentage is fine, but he's shooting 41.4% um, from the floor, which would be by far his, the worst mark of his career. His pre- previous career low was 45.9. And it's just like, you kind of saw, um, his true shooting percentage overall, that's it's tying his career low that he had in 2013, 2014. And it's just, it's a disappointment when you saw that he looked like he might be a legitimate three point threat last year. He didn't necessarily post the highest true shooting percentage. It was middle of the road as far as his career numbers went, but he he's just fallen off. And now you all of a sudden, you know, remove offense from the equation. And he has been shooting a little bit better from downtown since the quarter pole grades he's at over 35 percent which is you know that's that's fine for someone like him he's not going to anchor a top tier defense anymore and like that's a problem and it was these trade negotiations became like super complicated because what are you giving up for him like he's not he's not an exceptional rebounder and he's not he's clearly can't anchor these elite defenses anymore the grizzlies are giving up more than 110 points Per 100 possessions with Marcus Law on the floor over his last 16 wow. games. So since the last time we did this, it's like that's not. And he's about to turn 33 too. Yeah. So uh, they, I, I, they made me believe, and I know they're still dealing with like all their injuries, and maybe we can talk about what they'll be when Mike Conley's fully healthy, and you can talk about how Chandler Parsons has missed the last four games, and blah 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 blah. blah. But like you know, we're at the point. Mike Conley, even if he walks through that door, like he's not going to turn this season around and they're in a convenient spot insofar as they're going to contend for a top three, top five pick. And then you can say, Hey, we have this and we still have Gasol and Cunley. Like they're bad enough to lose. Now they don't need to trade anyone except for 
Tyreek Evans. And the report from Woj at ESPN.com is they want a first-round pick for him. That's going to be incredibly difficult for them to yeah. do because they're not trading like him with his bird rights. He's just on that one-year biannual exception deal. So they're, they're just a mess, and I, I don't really know where they go from here. Yeah, I don't either. Um, shoot your shot on the Tyreek Evans stuff, though. At least ask for a first because he's been – He's been really, unreal. really good. Yeah. Uh, I, I think his trade value might be as high as Marcus Saul's right now. So I, I don't really know where they go from here either. If it was me, I'd be, I would be trying to trade. Um, I don't even like, I, I don't even know if Mike Conley would be untouchable for me. I, I, I think, I don't think he'd be untouchable, just, but it's, it's kind of as we've gone through before. He's like, the least what, touchable. <laughs> right. But it's, it it's sounds also, weird, but at the same time though, like, what are you getting for him? Yeah, I don't know. Another guy who's on a, a massive contract, and he's in his late 20s. He's, he's younger than Gasol, and I think he could probably be a part of the next good Grizzlies team. But um, I mean, he's, like, yeah, he's, I would he's, I would definitely be trying to move something. Yeah, I mean, he's 30, so it's just all just I, – I don't know. They're, they're in a very tough spot. I do think the silver lining, again, would be it seems that they're be- – because Mike – Tyreek Evans, excuse me, has basically been playing out of his mind. And, this has been the best season of his career. Right, and they're, they're still bad. So, like, you're bad enough yeah. to, to stay bad without doing anything. And that so you'll you'll be able to get he's this He's super top. interesting on some teams that could use, like, a punch off the bench. Like, he's really interesting as a – I don't know what Washington would send, but he'd be he'd be a huge boost for them and s- some other teams that could use some bench help. I, I think he would definitely help some playoff teams. Here's So here's a trade I have. Memphis – uh, Cleveland, excuse me, gets Tyreek Evans and Jamichael Green. Memphis gets Shumpert, Anti Zizek, and Cleveland's 2018 first round pick, and maybe a 2020 second round pick from Miami. I would do that. I think if I'm, yeah, I think that works for either side. I like Jamichael Green would be not... perfect for the the Cavaliers to, to like kind of roll him out at the five sometimes. And Green hasn't been spectacular defensively this year. I was really I, – I look like a fool for some of the stuff I said about him last year. Um, but the Grizzlies also haven't been good so o- overall, yeah. and he started the year injured. So, like, that would be an interesting trade to me, and that might be the only – you might have to attach something to Evans so that you get a first. And in that scenario, you're getting Cleveland's low-end first. Let's say it winds up being, like, 27th or something like that. But you also get Zizek. Uh, like, that's just another kind of first-round prospect. And Shumpert has a year left on his deal if he opts in, and maybe he – make some contributions on the wing should he be healthy next year. Yeah, that's an interesting one for sure. Um, I'm going to move on to the New Orleans Pelicans, I think, who kind of epitomize mediocrity in my mind. I gave yeah. them I gave them a B minus last time. Um, I'm giving them a B minus again this time. They've been eight and eight since we did the quarter pull grades. Like it just everything Yeah, like everything everything just kind of seems to um a line a little bit there for them. So I just, Oh, excuse me. I was wrong. They were eight and seven. So I apologize for getting that. Uh, but the, the new thing to complain about with them has been like their transition defense or like their attentiveness, uh, after they're, they're missing shots on the offensive end. Mason Ginsburg at, uh, bourbon street shots is just documented this like crazy. So you should go check out. I believe he wrote a piece on it and his Twitter hands today, uh, on Twitter, excuse me. He was tweeting out like a blow by blow, of what happened last night for them as well. Uh, it, I mean, it's a real problem because if you look, um, opposing offenses 
are averaging 1.11 points per possession after a missed shot against them, according to Unpredictable, which is the fifth worst mark in the league. Equally concerning, they're scoring in an average of 11 seconds or less, which is the third worst mark in the league. Mm. So something needs to kind of give there for them. And, And the defense overall has not been great this year. And you would expect them to be... I, I don't know. I would kind of thought that the Pelicans would have been um, a better offensive rebounding team if they were going to play Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins together. They're 26th in offensive rebounding percentage. Um, their defensive rebounding percentage isn't anything special either. They're 18th at 77.2. And I, like even just since the last time we did this, they've been even worse on the offensive glass. They're, they're 28th, and their defensive rebounding percentage has been even worse as well. And you're kind of, if you're not going to be a good defensive team, you should dominate the glass. Like you can't, they've been basically on both sides of the ball, a bottom five rebounding team uh, since the quarter pole grades. And that's, which is insane when you have those two guys. And if you're not going to be a defense, if you're not going to be a good defensive team overall, at least try and dominate like that one aspect of, of the game. And I get that. Like Anthony Davis's health is always touch and go. And now he's dealing with an ankle injury, uh, not having Tony Allen since I think it's like, early December, almost the last time since we talked about these grades, that hurts your defense a little bit as well. I just, I don't know. They, on paper, it looks like they could be better, but this seems about on par for where they should be. And I don't know that we can expect any measurable or appreciable defensive improvement from them this year. If Solomon Hill comes back, as everyone seems to expect that he'll do this season, maybe that gives you a little bit of a jolt. But I look at them as a playoff team that really doesn't pose a threat to anybody in the West. Yeah, I would agree with that last sentence. I gave them a C plus, so not too far behind where you had them. I think it's funny you mentioned the rebounding. I I did the play types top tens the other day, and the top two for points per putback possession. Um, was Cousins and Davis. And somebody responded and said, well, you'd think they'd go to the offensive glass a little bit more. And I think they told me the their rank in offensive rebounding percentage, just like you did. So <laughs> they have two guys that are very capable, um, you would think, as offensive rebounders. They're certainly capable of scoring after they get the offensive rebound. And if they're not going to play transition defense anyway, why not just have them <laughs> crash the board super hard on every possession? Right. Uh, you also mentioned the defense. They those two are the only players on the entire roster with a positive defensive box plus minus. Everyone else is below zero. Um, a bunch of rotation guys are below minus two. So Rondo's been again, awful on that side. Yeah. <laughs> this comes back to, I, I think it's probably what I said last time we talked about the Pelicans. It's just, they're so little beyond Cousins and Davis. Drew Holiday has been pretty good this season he's averaging career high in points and rebounds and so that's nice but his three-point percentage is way down his assists are down which is probably should have been expected if you're going to play him next to rondo um and another and cousins handles the ball a lot too but and he has been shooting uh over his last 15 games 41.5 percent from three okay so maybe that'll start to tick up a little bit um yeah like i said i just there's just so little on this roster beyond those two and i um, I still gave them a, a C plus just because, you know, they're in the playoff hunt, they're above 500. So they, they deserve to be at least passing and trending towards a B, but there's just so many issues with this, this team still. And I don't, uh, I think it was Justin Russo just tweeted out the other day and we've talked about this on the podcast too. 
they are still um, much, much, much better when Davis is on the floor and Cousins isn't, as opposed to when Cousins is on the floor and Davis isn't. Um, Would you you consider trading Cousins if you were them? I would at least, like, see what's out there. I I don't know why you would completely shut down the possibility of trading him. I I think there's enough evidence to suggest that you might not be a great team if he is your um, one or your one B. If you could trade him and get, like, two or three decent players and maybe an asset, that's it's worth at least exploring the market. I don't. I. It's even. It's so hard to find like a fit for him though. Like, where are you going to send him? Yeah, it's the same thing. We we come back Every to this big. all the time. Yeah, it's like there's so many big guys that probably could or should be traded, but it's just so hard to find the other side of the deal. One one other funny thing I just noticed this while we were talking. <laughs> Cousins leads the Pelicans in three three point attempts per game. That's fantastic. He takes six threes a game. <laughs> that's nuts i mean 35.3 percent on 30, them yeah. yeah i can't really like knock on it because you know six threes a game from a center at 35 percent is really good i just think it's funny um is it back to me yes sir let's see i am gonna go to the nuggets Ooh, fun um i'm gonna i, I gave them a b minus i'm tempted to switch it to a C plus as oh. we're talking. Um, one of the, I, I, I felt like they would be better than two games above 500 at this point. I, I gave them a B minus because Paul Millsap has been out um, for, I think probably more than half the season at this point. Um, and when that, when Jokic and Millsap were on the floor together, Denver was really, really good right before he got hurt. It looked like they were starting to figure out the dynamic between those two. But I still just felt like they should have been better than they are at this point. I don't whether or not that's fair. I don't know. I think they've shown a lot of Jamal Murray has shown a lot of signs of potential to be really good. Trey Lyles has been awesome, especially. Um, I'll be interested to see if you have his numbers since the last time we talked about the Nuggets. He has been unreal. Gary Harris is. I, I think he's just sort of steadily been Gary Harris for the last couple of years. One other thing that I that has been slightly concerning for them is Jokic has had a tendency to sort of check out of games, um, but it sounds like Malone had sort of a one-on-one discussion with him the other day, and then he came out and had a triple-double against the Warriors. Um, maybe he should have had that discussion sooner. This is a guy who uh, is just hands down, far and away, their best player, and he needs to be told that you have to you have to be engaged every game. You have to be looking for your own offense, and um, I think that'll make them better. But uh, overall, it just seems like they're they're just a step back of where I thought they'd be at this point. I, I guess overall, but like when you just bake in Millsap's absence, it's tough. Yeah. For, like that that's big. And if we're gonna account for like a Rudy Gobert absence and. Um, Utah, like it's hard for me to give them lower than a B plus. They, you know, Jokic missed time with that sprained ankle as That's well, true. and yeah. they've done some nice things like the Plumley um, Jokic pairing, which when it's I somehow watch, working. Yeah. yeah, it's I, I don't I'm not a fan of it. Like the passing between them, like it sometimes does work, and the Nuggets are plus five point nine points per hundred possessions with them playing together, it just doesn't, it's working. So, like, that's a testament to them, even though aesthetically it doesn't do anything for me. The Lyles-Jokic pairing has been a it's monster. Awesome. Yeah. Um, 
109.7 offensive rating, 98.6 defensive rating. Jokic has been so much more active on the defensive end this year, and you kind of throw it in with a more switchy guy like Trey Lyles. Like, that's a fantastic pairing. I'm not saying I will never, ever, ever put Trey Lyles in the same category as Paul Millsap, but, like, that's the same dynamic that you share with Millsap. It's just much on a much smaller much much, he's much also, smaller scale he's like closer offensively to what Gallinari was last year too and I think that's the kind of four that Jokic really thrives playing with yeah I think that's fair as well and so but like when you're battling like those absences to me I I, I don't know I, I gave them a b plus and even some of the lineups where you have um plum dog just as, as your lone big on the floor those things have been working and it's like you said you know so since the last time we talked about the Nuggets let's start with Jamal Murray 18.5 points per game, 47.1% shooting, 44.2% from three, 91.7% from the foul line. Doesn't get there mm. too much, uh, 2.8 attempts per game in 32.2 minutes per game, but still. Uh, and he's dishing out 3.2 assists uh, per contest during that time, and he looks a little bit more economical with his turnovers. He's a lot more active on the defensive end. I was kind of impressed with some of the things he did against Stephen Curry in that Warriors game, even though Curry went bonkers. He's just he's working, and I think when you're looking at a sophomore, that's one of the only one of the, like that's all you can really ask for. Um, and so then we move on to Trey Lyles, 16.4 points per game, 54.2 percent shooting, 47.5 percent from three. Free throw shooting has been a mess, 63% um, since we had last talked about the Nuggets. But he's providing some, like, rebounding in a pinch, 7.2 boards per game, 6.1 on the defensive end. Uh, he's just been, like, a quality contributor for them, and they become a lot deeper when Paul Millsap comes back. And you can bring Trey Lyles, like, I, I, he can't anchor these second units, but just, like, look at the dynamic you all have. You all of a sudden have set up. Like, you can play two of Lyles, Millsap, or Jokic at the same time, like basically at all times. And that's – like I'm very interested to see what a Lyles-Millsap front court could do. Yeah, and Lyles on the bench. I don't know how much they've done this, but I noticed he played some five last night against the Warriors, so that, that might be something they're willing to do. Yeah, so, so like it's just – I there there are promising signs here to me, and it seems like we still need to wait for a lot of it to all come together. And one of the – like even more encouraging things for me is they're 15th in defensive rating since the quarter pull grades. And when you're talking about Paul Millsap not playing, that's not a bad spot to be. And their, their offense yeah. is it's right around the top 10. And again, we're stirring in some time without Jokic there. Uh, it just seems like they kind of need to get healthy. And I would like to see them make a move um, at the trade deadline for, for a wing would be nice. Malik want, Beasley got was, some minutes against the Warriors. I was really, I was all about it. I'm, I was just thinking last night, man, if this team had a legit three, because Wilson Chandler has been pretty uh, underwhelming the last couple of years. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, and he's been like a little bit better. He was, a, well, he looked like a mess against the Warriors, to be honest. But statistically, he's been a lot better um, since the quarter pole grades. It's just, if they could get, like, Will Barton has regressed a lot, too. Like, his mm -hmm. offense has not been great. Um, recently, and he doesn't give you too much defensively. He can and when he see. bogarts the offense, it can be really ugly. Right, if he's going to shoot twenty seven point three percent from three, like he's doing over his last sixteen games, like that's going to be an issue for you. And the the, the kind of the Tory Craig star is like kind of faded really quick. Like that fad is just oh okay, he had like that nice spurt, but is he really helping the Nuggets as much now? That you're right, they need a three. Um, and Malik Beasley's been playing more uh, recently, and I've 
kind of liked what I've seen from him. He doesn't, I don't, he clearly doesn't trust his jump shot and you're not going to turn for him like from off the dribble work, but he just, he gives you effort on defense uh, switching or if he's really chasing guys down in transition, but it would be nice to see them consolidate. And I know one of the drums we were banging is um, they need to get like a, a premier point guard. And I always came back to like Kemba Walker on this team would be nuts. But now it kind of seems like with the emergence of Murray and knowing how you have all these secondary ball handlers in addition to what Jokic does for you, if, if they could just consolidate some of these assets into just a, a more established defensive wing, uh, th- that could really help them. And I don't, no one really springs to mind because even some of like the best names, like Courtney Lee would be good for this team, but he's not really a three. And I don't think he's mm-hmm. someone you could ask to play up too much. Kent Bazemore would be interesting if he didn't make so much money, but if Atlanta's maybe willing to accept something built around Kenneth Fareed, who's kind of back in Denver's doghouse, it seems as well. So it's they have a lot of avenues they could explore. They're still just really heavy on front court talent and kind of need to branch out the the wing department. And I think when they're at full strength, they're going to be scarier um, than a lot of people are are kind of recognizing right now. And and one of the things that's probably helped them the most is like Emmanuel Moutier. Uh, not playing right now. Yeah. They've just they've been fantastic even since he came back from his injury. Like they've just been fantastic when he's off the floor. When does Millsap get back? They said three months, and I think he still has two to go. It was three months okay. as of November nineteenth. So we're getting closer to about a month a month and change left. And that's you know, is he gonna? Is it? Will he be ready? I guess is the question. So yeah, yeah, that was a real bummer um, when he went down. Um, back to you. It is back to me. Um, I'm going to go with the apparently injury-infested Houston Rockets. Uh, yeah. I'm looking – so this is, again, for the entire season, and they still have um, the fourth-best record in the NBA. I'm giving them – and I, I like I, I can't penalize them for injuries too much, so I'm still going to give them an A- minus because I think at full strength, like we've seen what they can do – and the fact that Chris Paul and James Harden haven't been able to play together or basically be healthy at the same time is a problem. A potential red flag, though, and this no doubt has something to do with uh, Chris Paul's absence over this stretch, is that the Rockets are 10-7 and 7 since the quarter pole grades, during which time they had the third worst defense in the NBA in front of only the Cavaliers and the Kings. And Luke and Bamut's been injured as well. So, like, we have to take that into account. But, like, the luster's kind of worn off Ryan Anderson's um, start. You you look at him, and, like, he was okay when you're going at him directly. But, like, he's no rim protector. He's not someone who's going to rotate. So you're inherently exposed when he's going to play center. Trevor Reza still kind of – they've done a good job not matching him up against really physical guys. But he's not someone who can go up against – you know, you don't necessarily want him as a, as a small ball four on defense. He'll torch you. Uh, towards the opponent on offense, ex- excuse me there, but defense is kind of a question mark. You have the James Harden injury. Um, Gerald Green's been randomly good for this team. There, there just seem to be a lot more moving parts than there were last time we talked about them, and we suddenly have to look at are they, I think it's fair to ask the question, are they that team? Are they the second biggest threat to the Warriors or the or the, you know, the biggest threat to the Warriors in general, or is that still Cleveland, or does it belong to Boston or San Antonio now? And where it was kind of a reflexive answer, oh, yeah, the Rockets are right there. I'm just not so sure anymore. Yeah, I'm not so sure either. I was I was as much on that bandwagon as anybody, I think. I remember saying a couple times that, yeah, I would pick the Warriors in the series, but it wouldn't shock me if the Rockets beat them. And now just a few weeks later, that looks 
uh, almost silly to say. Um, all I know is I am all in on the Gerald Green experience. <laughs> His true shooting percentage, we're now seven games in, is .713. He's taking eight threes per game for the Warriors and shooting 50% for three. When they get all healthy again, I'm going to be really sad if that means Gerald Green's out of the rotation. I gave him an A um, just because I still think they're um, – I think they're a little bit better than I thought they would be. I think they're still, yeah, they're still second in the West. I just, um, yeah, they're clearly not as good as the Warriors now. It's just to they me, fell so. out of the top ten of defensive efficiency because of this latest stretch. And, and again, that Chris Paul's yeah, that stretch definitely has something to do with it. That stretch of defense is certainly uh, alarming. It seems like a very, very much a regression to the mean for them. And I, I think they're probably, maybe they're not this bad defensively, but they're probably closer to this than what they were for the first, I don't know, 15, 20 games of the year. Yeah. And I, again, maybe, and maybe we're wrong there too, because you get Luke and Bob moved back to um, like, maybe some things can happen. It's just, I'm, I'm all for the Gerald green experience while we get it, even <laughs> though uh, I don't know that like Capella, what was the lineup? I couldn't, I was just, I was watching it. I was like, this just feels so bizarre. It was Anderson Ariza, Green, Paul, and Capella, and th- like that lineup is just not. It was just. It was not doing yes, anything. Please, <laughs> but it was just not. It was just not doing anything. I still. I'm interested to really see what this team can do, like um, small ball wise. The and again, we're gonna have to wait. When they play PJ Tucker at the five is really interesting to me. Right, and it's even so like, and they're gonna have to wait, like, obviously, until they are um, fully healthy. But when uh, those three guys. Uh, share the floor this year, they've been, like, dominant. When you have Tucker, Ariza, and Mbamut on the floor at the same time, the Rockets are 15-4 over their 19 appearances. It's 157 minutes total, 121.9 offensive rating, 93.9 defensive rating. So that's a 28 minute rating. That's crazy. It's nuts. And the assist percentage on that lineup is absolutely terrible because you have those three guys, none of whom are real good passers, and then it's probably James Harden, doing a bunch of isos in there with Clint Capella would I guess would be the second most uh would be this like their second most fifth wheel but that's like that's a very switchable trio and you add a healthy Chris Paul to that and then obviously James Harden they might be able to do some damage but I think they're when we're kind of looking at we've talked a lot about their defense um they're probably closer I don't think they're the third worst defensive team in the league but they're probably closer to the bottom 10 than they are to the top 10, I think, long-term. And, and again, just maybe I'm, I'm wrong there. Maybe you get more exposure from Chris Paul. But I've never – I don't like, I love Clint Capella, but I don't even think he's, like, a great defensive guy. Like, he's a little bit more switchy than most bigs, but he's – he can kind of get overpowered pretty easily, not just by brooding bigs, but, like, these just forceful ball handlers. So I, I'm interested to see how their defense rebounds when they're at full strength, if it rebounds at all. All right, I'm going to keep us – in the Southwest Division, and I'm going to go with the Mavericks. Um, I literally have every, no every strong feelings we, about the Mavericks. I just want to I don't, I don't right there. I was going to say, every time I look at these grades, too, I'm like, do I really want to give them that grade? I gave them a C when I was going through other teams before um, the podcast. Dirk Nowitzki has been pretty awesome lately. Um I don't feel like we've seen a ton of progression from Harrison Barnes this season, which is a little bit of a letdown. Uh, Dennis Smith has had plenty of highlights, but it's very typical rookie stuff in terms of his efficiency numbers. They're they're really, really bad. 
Um, Maxi Kleber has been a nice surprise to me. I, like you, I don't have a ton of feelings either way about them, but they're 13 and 28, so I can't. I don't feel justified giving them a B. Uh, but before the season started, I, I would have guessed that they would probably be one of the worst teams in the West. So I also don't really want to fail them or give them a D. So I, I went with a C, which is about indicative of I don't have strong feelings. Can you guess what their most used lineup has been since we talked about them last during the quarter pull grades? <laughs> I'll tell you, all right, so I'm going to give you, uh, Dirk Nowitzki is in it, and I want to see okay. how many of the other four you can get. Harrison Barnes. No. I want to no. give, give you four guesses and see how many you get. Oh, right. for one. <laughs> um, Dennis Smith. Nope. J.J. Barea. Yes. Okay. And I should also mention he's been incredible this year, J.J. Barea. It this makes is... you think, like, hey, maybe he'll do stuff outside Dallas if he were to get moved. I don't know. Yeah, another guy who's way. objectively having – the best season of his career, like Tyreek Evans. He's another guy that I have like wondered about. Hmm, how would he look as Washington's backup point guard? But anyway. One for um, three, and I'm going to give you one more guess to see if you can get a second. Maxi. No. Oh, my gosh. So and, it must be really random. Yeah. So it's – and I thought it was random when I looked this up um, while I was doing like some just prelim research before the pod. J.J. Barrera, Yogi Ferrell, Devin Harris, Dirk Nowitzki, Dwight Powell is their most Holy used line. 105 minutes, um, and it's 107.5 offensive rating, 109.7 defensive rating. <laughs> like I That's was just amazing. looking at the names, and they haven't playing Berea, Farrell, and Harris together is amazing. <laughs> Harris has like... actually played like a little bit of three the last couple of years, though. Right, the Ray Carlisle like ha- has seldom been above that, and also, so you guessed like a lot of people who would this. This should probably be their most used lineup, and to be fair, it's only logged four minutes less than the one I just said. Harrison Barnes, Kleber, Matthews, Dirk Nowitzki, and Dennis Smith, they are getting absolutely waxed. They're net rating negative 26.4. So it's just... Who who was in that one again? Kleber, Barnes, uh, Kleber. I don't know why I can't pronounce that, guys. Matthews, Dirk Nowitzki, and Dennis Smith Jr. And they're negative 26.4 net rating. Their offensive rating is 85. That's their... Oh, my gosh. And, you know, that's like... I, I'm just the Harrison Barnes stuff is we're gonna have to we probably don't have to go in depth on it ever again but like this just proves what I was like they're better offensively with Harrison Barnes on the floor um, since the last time we talked about the Mavericks but he's just not someone as a featured option as even a number two guy he just doesn't move the needle for your team yeah his assists are up um He's good. He's just one of the, but, He's good on an individual level. Like it's, and he's. I will. Well, say I also I agree with you. Like, he shouldn't be your number one or number two, though. Like, if he's your leading scorer, as he is for the Mavericks, by five, by like almost five points per game, like you have problems. Yeah, that's a problem for sure. So, and and he's not. I think we can, even though his three point percentage has been down overall this year. I believe it's rebounded a little bit. Is like thirty four overall. Yeah, and it's yeah. at thirty five point two um, since the court poll. So, like, that's fine. And he's shooting better like as a featured option than anyone expected. And as you said, the assists are up, but he's just not someone who moves the needle. And so now you're looking at this rebuild. Who are their building blocks? It's very clearly Dennis Smith Jr. Who is not like, can we be honest? Like he has not been good this year, no, especially lately. And that's fine. He's, he's, he's a rookie. So yeah, I think he just looked for the flashes more than the numbers. For right. A rookie. And it looks like he's there to be that polarizing talent, but he's essentially their lone building block. Is he not? Yeah, I don't know who else you could say like definitively we want to build around this. Because I, I thought you're a lot done. though, like Dennis Smith and Luka Doncic could be an interesting 
You're comment. just, I mean, you and Luka, anyone and Luka Doncic, you <laughs> might get it done. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, uh, so Yeah, I don't know who else you would build around. And it's like even some of the, maybe Dorian Finney-Smith, who's like dealing with the quad injury, and like that's been like mysteriously swept under the rug. I feel like he's 24. But like Yogi Ferrell's yeah, that's another gonna, guy that's like, meh. He's okay. Yogi Ferrell, not... 24. Harrison Barnes. It's just, I mean, even like, even Maxi, he's in his age 26. He's 25. Season. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. So it's just, it's like, who do you, it's basically Dennis Smith Jr. So it's hard to get excited about their future. They will have cap space this year. I'm interested to see if, like, um, Wesley Matthews kind of meanders into the trade rumor mill at all. It seems I was like going to say the other thing that's a problem for them is guys that they need to move like Wesley Matthews. I don't think they're going to command much on the trade market. No. And that they might not even be able to like, I like, I still like Wesley Matthews and he's shooting. Okay. From three 36% since we last talked about the Mavericks dishing out 2.8 assists per game. And he works on defense, but like the, just the numbers with him in the floor on the floor are just absolutely. I think bad. on the, on that last mailbag pod I did, I talked about him as maybe a backup wing for the Timberwolves, who, like, the only wing they're playing right now off the bench is Jamal Crawford. I think he'd be interesting there, but There's just I don't no know how you're going to get more there, than yeah. a second. Yeah. And also, I don't know who you send back, so, because yeah, Matthews true. is going to come off the books in 2019. After and he's making, like, $20 million, right? Matthews is going to be at—next season, he'll be at 18 and change, I believe. Okay. Cause this That's season, a ton. Yeah, like that's a lot of money. He's at seventeen point nine this year and eighteen point six next year, and it's you know, who do the Timberwolves send to match? Like I don't think unless Dallas thinks like Gorgie Jang is the center of the future, but he's you know so <laughs> he's also another guy that's in his mid to late twenties already. Right. You know maybe and let's I believe it's my pick. So why don't we move on there to the mysterious Timberwolves? Um, okay. They I gave them and reluctantly I might add for the season I gave them a B plus. I'm just. I'm, I guess at this point you would call me a hater because like <laughs> I, I don't believe in them. Like I'm, I'm just, I'm not there. Like I don't understand. They so th- this is the thing that gets me. Fifty six point four percent of their shots are coming at the rim or from beyond the arc, and that's the third lowest mark in the NBA. And yet they have a top five offense overall. Since the last time we talked about them, only the Rockets have a better offense. They're hundred. Huh. They're scoring 112.6 points uh, per 100 possessions over their last 17 games. And get this, during that same span, they're ninth in defensive rating at 104.5. Carl Anthony Towns looks like he's gotten better on that side of the ball, I will say, um, over the past couple weeks. Jimmy Butler is an absolute monster. Um, he's awesome. Someone was yeah. arguing to Adam Fermel and I for a Bleach Reporter rolling out a top 100 series, and we did small forwards today. And one, I can't stand this. People bitch and moan about like the positional classifications, and in the end, it doesn't matter because we're gonna do the collective top 100. So just you know, shut the f up would be my response to them. But someone was mad that we put Jimmy Butler ahead of Demar Derozan, and it's like you know, Derozan's been good this year, but Jimmy Butler good, yeah. is an absolute. Jimmy Butler almost feels like the sole reason that the, the Timberwolves were quietly. Like, they're not just contending for home court advantage in the West anymore. Like, with this latest Kawhi Leonard injury in San Antonio, like, they're kind of within striking distance of that third seed. Two games back. Mm-hmm. They're they're only three and a half back of Houston right now for the second seed. So, they – I just – I don't necessarily – and maybe you can rationalize it for me a little bit more. I don't know what's happening with this team aside from what Jimmy Butler's doing. And even when you factor in what's kind of happened with uh, Jeff Teague's injury, like, I'm just – 
I don't, I don't know that I'm understanding. And I'll, I'll fully recognize that Taj Gibson has been a better pickup for them uh, than I gave them any credit for. I still Ditto. Yeah. don't understand it. But I don't understand this team and, and where it's kind of at right now. But I gave them a B-plus because I, you watch them, and it's uh, to me, it's just not pretty. And again, Carl Anthony Towns has been, uh, since the last time we talked about the Timberwolves, 20.9 points per game, 56.2% shooting, 44.1% from three, nearly 80% from the foul line. 12.5 rebounds, three assists. It kind of seems like he's growing as a passer a little bit. 2.1 blocks, and he's just making better defensive rotation reads overall, it seems. And then you have Jimmy Butler, and it's just aside from them, I have trouble. Like, I don't get excited about Andrew Wiggins even a little bit anymore. Tyus Jones has been a uh, quality been backup. Good. Yeah, so I just I look at this team, and I, I don't I don't know. Like Even watching them, like I, I, it's tough for me to get excited. I love seeing what Jimmy Butler does, but beyond that, it's just hard for me to get really pumped up about them. I gave him a B plus two, and I I think my grade sort of begins and ends with Jimmy Butler. Um, I last year to me, Jimmy Butler was a borderline top five player and like an a comfortable top ten player in the entire league. And so when I heard that they were getting him, I just I was pretty high on the Timberwolves, and I think they are starting to figure it out. Basically, since he sort of assumed the alpha dog role over the last month, probably a little bit more than that. At this point, they have been a completely different team. I still think they can get Andrew Wiggins field goal attempts, um, a bit more under control, but I I'm, I'm nitpicking at this point. One thing that I think has helped them interestingly enough, um, they are plus 10.4 points per hundred possessions when Tyus Jones is on the floor and they're minus 0.6 when he's off. When Jeff Teague is on the floor, they're plus 2.9 points per 100 possessions, and they're plus 4.5 when he's off. Um, I don't think Tyus Jones is necessarily a better individual player than Jeff Teague, but I think he's more of a player who will take a backseat to Jimmy Butler and sort of let him command um, the offense. And I, I think that's helped him for sure. I was just looking at Teague's shooting numbers uh, right, right when we started talking about the Timberwolves, and it's like almost 50% of his shots come from the range between three feet and the three-point line, um, which, like we've mentioned a lot of times on this podcast, you want your shots to come at the rim or beyond the three-point line. So he's he's putting up a lot of inefficient shots. Um, but I, again, I think the the biggest reason for sure uh, to me is Jimmy Butler. And like you said, Carl Anthony Towns has been better defensively and his, his counting numbers are just, uh, yes. remarkable that, that, um, duo to me, that's, that's one of the better top twos in the league in, in my opinion. And kind of to your point about Tyus Jones, when, so, you know, you remove, um, Jeff Teague from the, that starting five and you insert Tyus Jones, that lineup, uh, over they've done nine appearances since the last time we talked about the Timberwolves. 159 minutes, which is not insubstantial, plus 34.3 points per 100 possessions, 121.4 offensive rating, 87 defensive rating. Things just work, and a big part of that is Tyus Jones probably gives you more effort defensively, but also we should note that his additional minutes have kind of coincided with an uptick from Towns defensively as well. Yeah. But the the other thing is, like you said he's just more suited to kind of play off these guys because you put Jeff Teague in that lineup and effectively you're dealing with four alphas and Jeff Teague is probably like 
the least of the guys you need to worry about when you're looking at Butler, Towns, and Wiggins. At the same time, though, as a point guard, you're not necessarily used to this completely complementary role, and it definitely doesn't help that, like, Tibbs, I mean, the roster isn't really built to do this, but, like, when you look at his rotations and his lineup combinations, like, he just doesn't prioritize spacing or three-point volume at all, and mm-hmm. that's just going to pave the way for those inefficient shots that you were talking about. I also wish they would, um, like I already mentioned, I wish they'd have a couple more reliable guys off the bench because this has been the knock on Tibbs for years, but you would think some of these guys are going to wear down as the season goes on. But just this last little bit, they have been really, really good. All right, so I'm going to stay in the Northwest Division, and I'm going to go with the Oklahoma City Thunder. They have been... They're starting to figure things out over the last few weeks. They've certainly been better, and I'll be interested to hear the stats you have on them since we last did these grades. Um, But I just kind of expected them to click in a little bit sooner. I thought the Westbrook-George fit was really good. Um, I understood people's concerns when they got mellow, but I thought that he would willingly take a back seat and for the first time in his NBA career kind of become Olympic mellow here in the NBA. I just I feel like it took a little bit longer for all those things to happen than I expected. And so I gave him a C plus. But like I said at the at the start of this discussion is they've been really, really good lately in I, I think it's like since November twentieth, Russell Westbrook is averaging like twenty eight points, ten and a half assists and ten and a half rebounds. It's basically since he decided uh, I'm going to go ahead and go back to doing everything <laughs> the way that I want to, the way that he did last year, that they've really sort of turned around. And I think Melo has taken a little bit more of a backseat, and that's helped too. But overall, I just thought they would be a little bit better than four games above 500 at this point in the season. It's just kind of, you gave him a C plus? Yeah. Damn. I, I just thought they would be, when they put that group together, I thought that was a team that might compete for like second in the West. And maybe that was, maybe that's my fault for overestimating them. I um, mean, they're, they're five games back of third. It's just, I, maybe I'm waiting recent, I gave them a B plus. Um, maybe I'm waiting recent performance, like a little too much for them, but they're now they're 12th overall in offensive efficiency and they're still fifth in defensive efficiency. And since the last time we talked about them, their offense has been eighth and their defense it has slipped kind of as a result to 14th during that time but 12 and 6 I guess you made me almost want to change this to a B um but it does seem like you talked about Melo taking a back seat it kind of just seems like certain things are coming together with that dynamic and in the seven games um that Adams Anthony George uh, Robertson and Westbrook have played since we last talked about the Thunder Oklahoma City is 7 and 0 and they have a plus 25.5 net rating with 125.3 offensive rating, 99.8 defensive rating. Paul George has kind of looked more like a monster on the offensive mm-hmm. side of the ball now, and that's in addition to what he's been doing um, defensively as well. I- I'm still I'm still high on them. I think they're going to end up at least fourth in the West. I don't necessarily know who you want to pick to drop off. My pick would still most likely be the Timberwolves. Uh but to me, they're only going to get kind of better from here, and hopefully, as Carmelo Anthony continues to adjust to his role uh, on offense, like they'll just be even more weaponized. I was kind of a little bit surprised to see when I was looking at their lineup data that they've tried to go to Paul George plus bench units a little bit more than Melo plus bench units. It just seems to make more sense to do it the other way around because Paul is so uh, 
George is so adaptable, and those like a lot of those George plus bench units have just not been good statistically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I don't know. The, the Thunder have just it looks to me it looks like they finally turned a corner, and Russell Westbrook has been beast mode as well uh, since we last did these grades mostly or not even really so, but he's kind of more recently over the past like 10 games around there. He's looked more kind of like an MVP candidate and, and Paul George kind of figuring things out offensively have helped Patrick Patterson shooting 42.1% from three over his last 18 games. I think that's a big deal. And he adds a nice extra layer of defensive versatility, even though the, the thunder aren't really want to explore it uh, just yet. It doesn't seem like, but he, he still, I think he's going to be a big part of a strong playoff push. I'm still super high on this team. And at least, at the very least, and maybe this is why I give them a B plus, is they put like the Paul George trade talk to bed. Like that's not happening midseason. It was always a long shot. But now that we've mm-hmm. kind of seen, seen that they can get these quality wins, like, you know, Christmas over the Rockets. We know they beat the Warriors once this season. Uh, th- those are good harbingers for them. So uh, they have a game coming up on Wednesday. Uh, against the Thunder, uh, excuse me, against the Timberwolves, and that'll be like kind of a good measuring stick for them too. I- I'm still super high in this roster. I'm with you. I thought they'd be better right off the bat, but I also feel like now, even though we've done this time and again, all of us or a majority of us are like guilty of falling into this. Looks so good on paper, it's just going to work. Meanwhile, yeah. we saw it when LeBron went to Miami, when he went back to Cleveland. We saw it with the Lakers when they had Nash and Dwight Howard. Uh, we're seeing it with the Jazz now when they went with Rubio. It's just it's very rarely do you have a Boston Celtics situation where everything just magically works. into something magnificent. Yeah. All right, back to you. Um, we only have two teams left. I'll you know what? I'm gonna stay in the Northwest and go right. with the Portland Trailblazers. Um, Damian Lillard's health has has not been great for them since we were last talking uh, about them. I still marvel at how poorly they rank on the offensive scale, though. They're 24th in offensive efficiency on the season, and since the quarter pole grades, they're 23rd. So, like, this is just – there hasn't been a lot of movement. They're 8-8 over that time. Uh, I I ended up giving them a a B-minus almost because they're sixth in the West, and I don't think I had them as sixth in the West at the beginning of the year. Uh, And their defense has been uh, largely, I don't want to use the word fantastic, but they're just, their conservative approach, it's like, it's working. They do a good job of forcing opponents into taking shots that um, they should be taking. Uh, You look at it, if you look at their defensive shot profile, 62.3% of the shots they let up come at the rim and from the three-point line. That's the fourth best mark uh, in the league when looking at that. The fourth lowest mark, which is then the fourth best mark. So that that's encouraging. Al Farouk Aminu really opens up some lineup combinations for them when he's on the floor. Uh, I'm really interested to see if they can kind of acquire a wing, though, as we get closer to the, the trade deadline. It kind of seems like... Uh, Maurice Harkless has not been good. Like that experiment's run its course a little bit. Uh, Shabazz Napier has been really good um, at point, but they, they seem to need, especially with the way CJ McCollum defends, they seem to just need like a, a different type of wing, and that's what they appear to be missing. And when I look at their record and where they are in the West, I feel like I should technically feel good about them, and yet I just feel uneasy. And I think that's perhaps because the offense has been largely unspectacular. And there, there are a lot of moving parts to that. Joseph Nurkic has not been good this year. So mm-hmm. it, it, there's just like all those things, and it, it makes me again slightly uneasy. But I think that 
that them being sixth in the Western Conference, though, at the same time is also kind of a, a pleasant surprise, and they just need to hope that uh, Damian Lillard's calf problems don't kind of become this lingering issue. That's the same grade I gave them, was a B-, and it's almost the exact same rationale. I think they're better than I thought they would be, but it's it's the offense that's kind of holding them back in my grade book. Um, Yusuf Nurkic, like you said, he's he's been a little bit better recently, but it's like dumping it down in, to him into the post is like a wasted possession, basically. Um, there At this point, there are very few guys in the league where it's not. <laughs> A wasted possession to dump it into the post. Is but anyway, it, that's a good. That's like a good like side question. Like who who is it not a waste to do that to? Like maybe Rondé Hollis Jefferson. Yeah, well he's super <laughs> efficient, but like I um, just... yeah, there's very few. Jonas Valanciunas is still really good at it. Um, Aldridge is okay, seventieth percentile in post. Spurs have been. They've been sort of one of the only teams that's successfully zagged while everyone else is zigging for sure. They're, they're still pretty – go ahead. Anthony Davis, I did not realize, was in the 77th percentile post-ups this year. But even like 77th percentile, what what would his points per post-up be? Like still below one? Yes. Oh, it's – I mean like if, if you look, like like the guys who have like above – Devin Booker has – Devin Booker's, I just looked this up the other day. Go ahead. Devin Booker has been like sneaky good in the post this year. They're giving him 1.5 post-up. Uh, post-ups per game, and he's averaging 1.04 points per possession. So, like, if someone like him apparently isn't a waste. Um, give me one second. So I, I actually just looked this up the other day. Among guys with at least 50 total post-ups this year, there are only one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight who score at least one point per post-up. Evan Turner's one of them. Yeah, Evan Turner's in there. Kevin Durant, Rudy Gay, Carl Anthony Towns, Jonas Valanciunas, Mike Scott, Taj Gibson, and Rondé Hollis Jefferson. Um, so I get why teams still post up just to kind of keep a defense honest. Um, I think it's important to have somebody who will at least demand some attention in there. So maybe you can get some threes off a kick out. Or if they, you know, if they completely disrespect the post, go ahead and try and score in there. But uh, ultimately, it's just not an efficient way to play basketball and if you're not playing efficiently these days you're getting lapped by the competition so and and back to our discussion of the blazers nurkic is ninth in the entire nba in total post-ups um and he's scoring 0.72 points per post-up and that's actually up quite a bit since the last time i checked this but you're talking about like a league average offensive rating right now is a little bit over one point per possession and he is like way below one so that's i think that's a big culprit for their offensive issues i i still gave them a b minus because like you said they're a little bit better than i thought they would be at this point when i looked at their roster before the season started it was like yikes there's nobody beyond lillard and mccollum really and shabazz napier has been a nice surprise and at this point it it almost feels like there's nobody beyond those three uh lillard mccollum and napier so um, to me, they've outperformed their roster a little bit, and so that's why I, I went ahead and gave them a B. Or I gave them a B minus, same as you. Yeah, they're they're. I'm interested to see if they can turn a corner, like on offense at all. Offense is going to be a big thing for them. Yeah. The and the lineup that's seen a lot of time since we last did this, the Amanu Lillard, McCollum, Nurkic, Turner uh, quintet, is not one that like looks particularly appealing on 
paper because you technically have two shooters, but the Blazers have been in those seven appearances, nearly 120 minutes, plus 10.1 points per 100 possessions. And it's just, I mean, Aminu just seems to sometimes unlock these different combinations. You sub Napier into that combo uh, for Lillard, though, and, like, the offense and the defense both crater. Uh, They're just... they need, to me, it looks like they need another, like, th- we could probably say this about every team, but they need, like, a wing who can shoot and kind of give you some defensive effort. But even for them, like, they, they just need a wing who can shoot because you have guys that can kind of offset it elsewhere. It is interesting that uh, that Woj piece that came out the other day said there are a lot of teams that are interested in trying to find a wing now. And we've gone through a couple just here in this podcast. It seems like that's the glaring issue for sure it's like there's all of a sudden there's you can't have you want these like-sized players and now there's this shortage of them because you need like the thought is you need so many of them yeah um okay that leaves us with the san antonio spurs i gave them an a um they're 28 and 14 right now i think Kawhi's only played eight games yep. this season yep uh, for them to be that far over 500 um very much in the mix for second in the West still without a like perennial MVP candidate at this point is it's crazy to me Uh, for Aldridge. uh, One thing that's been wild all season is Aldridge was very much like on the outs with this team the last couple years. Everyone wanted the Spurs to trade Aldridge. Suddenly, he's like amazing after his little heart to heart with Greg Popovich. That that extension was like the most random one ever. (laughs) It was so weird. And it was like, universally panned and i was like it just didn't make any sense to me but he's been fantastic they still get contributions like all the way up and down their bench yeah Bryn forbes has been good kyle anderson has been awesome this year uh danny green is still danny green rudy gay has been like (laughs) he's been better than i thought he would be for the spurs it's just like you go there and you're going to be turned into a productive effective uh smart player and Year after year after year, it just seems to be the case. So I gave them an A. Um, could probably even argue for an A plus, but I, I wanted to reserve that for just the Warriors. I uh, I kind of I I went with an A just because they're battling like they're they're battling like a lack of continuity. It seems like which isn't very Spurs like, and Kawhi Leonard's injury is kind of part of it. But you look their most used lineup since we last talked about like no lineup ha- about them. No lineup has appeared in more than five games and that's like you know a third that's of the crazy game. yeah that's yeah. less than a third of the games they've played their offense has kind of slipped a bit overall uh since the quarter pull grades they're 15th in offensive efficiency their defense is still verging on elite during that time and and, and they're just finding a way to win games they're 12 and 6 even you look at that game against what was the game one day was it against the kings like they they played like basically nobody and and they won so it's they're just a, a solid team, and I marvel at how Greg Popovich continues to do it. Like the depth of their roster is just absolutely in- incredible. I'm anxious to see what Quai Leonard looked like. He was starting to gain some traction before he kind of went down, even though some of the lineups with him in them weren't very great. But he's someone who's going to take their offense to the next level. We saw it last year. They went from scoring like a bottom five outfit uh, without him to scoring like a top two offense when he was in the game and you can even credit Aldridge because the Spurs are scoring 105.7 points per 100 possessions with him on the floor, which is almost two points more than they're scoring overall. He's basically the difference right now for them. When you look at potential offensive hubs uh, between having an average to above average offense and something that's closer to demonstrably 
below average. And Patty Mills has had a nice impact on their their offense um, of late at certain times too. So, uh, and I, I got the Aldridge stat wrong. He's one hundred seven point nine points. Uh, he's they're scoring when he's in the game. So it's just. They they just continue to do, and even Manu Ginobili just turning in these performances off the bench. Like he's just he's fantastic. He so I'm I'm want to see this team fully healthy, uh, in large part also because I do think they're built a little bit better to play against some of the more athletic and switchy teams than they've been in years past. Like when we kind of saw them struggle against the Thunder, or even when you see them struggle against the Warriors. Like having the Rudy Gay, Kawhi Leonard, Danny Green, Kyle Anderson. Even if you want to throw Javante Murray in there too, like mm-hmm. that just mashup of with all those like like size switchy guys, like that could create some nice versatility for them that they haven't really had recently. Yeah, I think they are, and seems like forever will be sort of lurking in the shadows as a as a real contender. Um, no matter how many times we or I write them off, I was not that wraps among, us up. I was not among yeah, the people I, who wrote them off. So let's just I should it. let you get that in there. Um, we have now graded all 15 teams for the Western Conference. Stay tuned because we will be back with grades for the East this week. Um, if you want to quibble over these grades with us on Twitter, you can find Dan at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox, and the sponsor is at NBA underscore math. Uh, as Dan said earlier in the episode, I'll just reiterate, uh, we would love to have as many ratings and reviews as possible. Be sure you uh, do that if you haven't already. Um, if you're not subscribed, go ahead and subscribe and tell others to subscribe as well. I've advocated stealing in the past, stealing friends' phones and subscribing for them. I'm not above that. Um, until next time, we leave you with the shout-out to Bino Udri. And since we just talked about the Spurs got to do Kyle Anderson, too. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port in of number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. The Aaron's AA team makes getting the name brand furniture, electronics, and appliances you need easy and affordable. We're talking top brands like HP, Samsung, GE, Beautyrest, and so many more. Take them home today, then make low monthly payments until they're yours for good. Aaron's great rent-to-own deals even come with easy approvals and free delivery. That's Aaron's. The rent-to-own power of the AA team.